Amen. As uh, Kathy would say, if that didn't bless you, your blessers broke, right? <laughs> so thankful to have Becky with us this morning. And uh, uh, we're going to be planning a concert. Uh, Becky's going to sing a concert for us here soon. No, not really, but um, I'll do some things behind the scenes, see what I can figure out there, and we'll arrange something to, uh, to do something like that. But no, so, so thankful that God is an on-time God. Amen. And uh, if you have a Bible, open up to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to get there in just a few minutes, and uh, I'm going to go to another passage here in just a moment before we get to Philippians 4. Um, And so this morning, uh, we're doing our series, Conversations with God, second week of our series, Conversations with God. And uh, we are going to cover a lot of topics in this series. Uh, Last week, many of you know, we started with the topic of faith. And we decided if you could sit down with God in person and have coffee with him, what would he want you to leave that conversation knowing about the topic of faith? What would he want you to leave that conversation walking away with? What, what keys, what, what key things would he want you to know so that you can put those things into practice as you go through your week? And so last week we talked about faith. And I pray that if you took nothing out of last week's message, you took away this, that your faith is all about him. That your faith is not about you. That your faith is not about you. You know why that's true? Because your life is not about you. As a follower of Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your very existence from the moment of receiving him until this day and until the day you leave this place is not about you. It's about him. It's about his glory. It's about his name, his grace, his salvation. And we are just beneficiaries of an amazing grace that he extends to us. And I said it before, if we start living our lives centered around him instead of centered around ourselves, there's so much more peace and joy involved. When you walk into your home and you know your marriage is not about you, but it's about him, all of a sudden, all these expectations that you have just melt away. And you begin to love people and your family and love your spouse and love your kids just because of who they are, because they're Christ's and your Christ's and your goal is to be Christ to them. Your work, by the way, your employment is not about you. So many Christian workers are like, man, my boss never recognizes all the things I do for this company. Wow, you are carrying a cross, huh? Who, man, how dare they? I mean, there are people being persecuted for their faith, hung, burned, thrown in prison, and killed in front of their families. But you're right. Your boss hasn't given you a raise in two years. Man, are you being persecuted. Man, we do this, though. We make it all about us. Why doesn't my boss do this for me? Why doesn't my kids do this for me? Why doesn't my community, why doesn't my church do this for me? But, man, if we're going to learn anything as we go through these conversations with God over the next few weeks, it's about him. And so last week we learned about faith. This morning we're going to talk about a different topic. And over the next couple of weeks, I want to encourage you on this. Uh, You don't want to miss any weeks in this series. We're going to talk about things like motives. What would God want you to know about motives? Your motives for doing what you do and why you do what you do. What would God want you to know about heaven? By the way, it is for real. And I didn't need a book to tell me that other than the Bible. I didn't need some four-year-old to tell me heaven's for real. I know it's real. It's right here. We're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about all those crazy books. Man, the last 15, 20 years, every week another person's going to heaven and coming back. I don't know what's going on. We're going to talk about that. What would God want you to know about hell? We're going to talk about that. Man, I'm just so excited for what God has for us over the next few weeks. I want us to grow in what we talked about last week, our faith. Everything we're talking about from this point forward is to grow our faith, not in ourselves, but in him and what he would have for us. And so this morning as we're continuing on this series, I want to ask us, what would God say to us over coffee about tithing? What would God say to us about tithing and giving? Now let me say this kind of at the onset. If you're here and you're kind of new to us, maybe you've been here for a few years. Maybe you've been to churches before that all they seem to want to talk about is your money. That's all they want to talk about is your money and how much more of it they need or want. And giving you creative ways to give more of your money to them. Let me just set off this entire talk with this. I don't want your money. God doesn't need your money. 
God doesn't need it. You might think, oh, no, no, God doesn't need it. He's pretty sufficient in himself. He doesn't need your few hundred dollars a month, thousand dollars a month, maybe a million dollars a month. Now, if you want to give a million dollars, see me after church, we'll talk about that. He don't need it, but we'll take it. You know what I'm saying? Um, no, I want to really make sure we're clear on this. Because there's this mindset, again, that somehow me giving to the church gives me power. And you might say, who would think that? There are churches all over this country that are crippled, that are handicapped to a handful of people in the church because of their tithing checks. I've heard stories about men walking in the pastor's office, laying a tithing check in front of him on the desk and saying, you either preach what I want you to preach or this is going with me out the door. You, man, let somebody try that. It's going out the door and so are you. I got a couple guys, they're bigger fellas, and I'll just be like, hey, uh, Steve Proctor, I need you to come over and take care of something for me, would you please? Someone needs to be helped to their vehicle in the parking lot. Hey, Jason Conan, can you come on over here? Jason just walks to the door and goes, can I help you? That guy would be like, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Look, I love what you preach. Hallelujah, amen, praise Jesus. Listen, it's not about, if it's not about me and my faith, then why is anything in this life about me? It's centered around who? Him. So if my faith is around him, then my giving and my tithing needs to be centered around him and an understanding of what he would have me to know about it. And so this morning, it's more about him and about your hearts than it is about your money. We got to understand that right at the beginning. Your tithe, your gift, your giving, whatever you want to call it, your offering, is not so much about your money and the fact that God needs it. It's about he's center in your life and your heart belongs to him. And so we're going to look through that this morning. I want to walk through some passages and kind of see what we can discover in this understanding of what would God want us to know about tithing. Jesus spoke of money, as does the whole of Scripture in various ways. If you're really curious, you can study the Scriptures. Look at all the ways God speaks of money. One key that I believe Jesus would start with us as we're sitting here with him and having coffee with him, there's a key that I think he would begin with. And I believe it said it well in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Again, I know I told you to go to Philippians. If you want to jot down Matthew 6, 24, I'll just read it for you. It says this, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or the word for money. You cannot serve God and mammon. Did you hear what that verse says? Listen to this. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, love and hate, or he will despise the one or hold to the one and despise the other. Another transition was that he'd cling to one and reject another. See, the master that you love is the one you will cling to. And then Jesus takes that figurative illustration and says, you cannot serve both God and money, meaning those are your two masters. Now, in context, he's speaking specifically about God and money as being a master. But don't we see this similar thing in all of our issues of life to try to control us? Anything that tries to master us? That when you're giving yourself to it and loving that thing, it controls more of you and we cling to it and we actually begin to reject Christ because we want more of this. And you might say, well, master, or money doesn't master me. Money doesn't have a control over me. Okay, a couple quick questions to think about in your own head. These are things that I ask myself because these are things I struggle with. When you have more of money, does it change your attitude? Don't answer out loud, but just think on these things. It doesn't control you. You don't cling to it. You don't love it. Okay, you're saying, no, no, I only love and cling to Jesus. He's my true master. I don't love money. I don't have a love of money. The New Testament says it that way, that, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. So how do I know? I mean, do I have a love for money? Is it controlling me? Does your attitude change when you get more of it? Does your attitude change when you get less of it? Do you actually like when neighbors or other people get envious of you because of what you have in your finances? Does that actually give you a little bit of a satisfaction, like, oh, I'm, I'm somebody? Do you get your self-worth from how much money you have? Do you actually get your self-worth from how many things you can buy, and you like the idea that you can buy those things, and you don't need anyone else? You can do it all on your own. Does it give you some kind of a satisfaction, like, oh, yeah, look at, look at what I've done? And you might say, oh, man, but, but brother, I mean, we're supposed to be proud of the blessings this guy given us? Yeah, absolutely you are, as long as you're actually being proud 
in Christ and honoring Christ in those things. Instead of saying, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Now, does it actually change you when you have more or less of it? Now, those are just some personal things to think on and dwell on because I know that in my heart, listen, we all are human and we're all in a culture that teaches us that the more you have, the better you are. The more financially secure you are. Now, I'm not talking about stewardship and being wise with our money. That's all fine. I'm talking about sheer, cultural, American, dream-driven greed. Where you're more concerned about what's in your bank account than how you can use what's in your bank account to help someone else. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus was saying. If you honor money and you love money and you cling to money... You can tell me, man, I do, I feel those things, but you know what? I don't, I mean, I just enjoy the finances, but I really do love Jesus. Jesus seems to suggest you can't do both. He seems to suggest you will love one and hate the other, not love one and love one a little bit more or a little bit less. He says, no, no, there's no, there's no between there. You might say, well, who's Jesus to tell me that? Jesus is God himself, and he says that if you want to be his follower, your love for your mom, your love for your dad, your love for your neighbors, your love for yourself, your love for your children, all must look like hatred compared to your love for him. Jesus' words, not John's words, Jesus' words. And that's what Jesus expects from us. That's what he asks of us. And he says, man, I did everything. I gave my life for you. All I want you to do is just follow me and just honor me. That's it. That's all I want you to do. And this is true in our finances, in our tithes. How about our talents? How about our time? Man, think about that that verse in compared to time. Personal time. Family time. And I know nowadays you can't, you know, down family time. Heaven forbid we actually expect people to, you know, put God above that. I mean, whoa. I love family time. Had our first bonfire of the summer Friday night. You know why? Because it wasn't a billion degrees outside. Sandra's like, we should have a bonfire. I was like, it's going to melt my face off if we have a bonfire. It's like the surface of the sun out there. Ridiculous. But Friday, it was nice, right? It was like 75. Isn't that perfect? 75, a little breeze blowing through. At night, it was like 60, 65 degrees. Oh, man. That's bonfire weather. I love family time. But you know what's greater than my family time? My Savior. And when he asks me, if he asks me to surrender family time to him for some calling or purpose or reason, guess what? It's not a, I don't know. It's, yes, Lord. Here, Lord, do you want more of it? Here, whatever you want. And he may say, you know what, actually, I don't want it. I just wanted to remind you of who your God really is, so you can go ahead and keep that. Oh, man, why would God test me that way? He's mean. No, he's loving, so loving that he wants your faith to grow and your patience to grow so you can have endurance through the trials that come. And when we build our lives around these things, these facades of security and finances, man, we're not students of history. Because all those things can be taken away. But there's one thing that can't be taken away, and that's your Savior and your relationship with him because he holds on to you. Jesus says, hey, who's your master? See, that's the point of this whole talk. It's not so much about what you give or how you give or why you give. It's more about the motivation behind who your Savior is and what you give to him as far as your life. Jesus, again here, is very honest. He says, that, listen, you need to understand you cannot serve God and money. It always starts with who you are giving control of your life over to. Does your money control you or do you control your money? Think about that for a moment. Does your money control you or do you control your money? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Have you surrendered everything to him as Savior? Kids, spouse, home, security, finances, dreams. Uh, so often now I hear people talk about like, you know, hey, what do you want to do for a living? And you'll start talking and they'll say, well, what are your dreams? What do, you, do you want a Maserati in your driveway? Do you want a big house? You know what I would love for Christian parents to do? And I struggle with this too. Don't, I'm not sitting here like I've got this all figured out. Listen to me. It's just I've listened to others that have figured this out, and I'm so thankful for it because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited when I see and hear Christian parents encouraging their kids to dream God dreams. Not about what kind of car you drive. Man, how silly is that that you think that's as small as your God is? But dreams like this, what do you believe God wants to do with your life? Where do you think God wants to take you? Man, why do you think God's giving you that talent? How can you use that for his kingdom? Now, you may be wealthy in what you do for him, or you may be 
poverty in our nation today. By the way, poverty, poverty in America today. Go to other countries and find out what poverty really is before we start throwing that word around. But that's what we would call it. Is, it's, do you get where I'm going here? Have you surrendered everything to him and say, God, I just want you. Like I just read this book and I just go, man, look at another case of somebody that was blessed because they just lived for you. Look, somebody else, they just lived for you. Sometimes it'll mean gain. Sometimes it'll mean loss. I don't know. But the key is at the end of all of it, whether you have a big bank account or a little one, a big house or a little one, doesn't really matter if you have Jesus. And this is why I have an issue with the prosperity gospel that's preached so, so much in our culture today. And it's seeping in everywhere. Some of you have study books and you've read devotionals by people that would be considered prosperity gospel that would tell you that if you have enough faith, you'll never get sick. You'll always have a big bank account and all this other stuff. I don't see these people preaching in third world countries. Except when they fly in on their private jet, hold a big crusade, and then leave on their private jet. You know why they don't really preach there that much? Because it doesn't work. It's not fitting what they're seeing when they see people that have no, no food for days. And then you can tell them, it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. Where's that in here? You know what? Honestly, that's why I believe that God says not to go in debt. By the way, debt is bad. I know as Americans, we don't believe that. No, no, no. If I want it, my seven-year-old told me one time, I said, oh, we don't have money for that. He said, just use that card thing in your wallet. I said, well, I can try, but I think Capital One and I are on the outs right now. I think we're not really, we don't really hang out as much as we used to. No, but I mean, listen, I'll be transparent for a moment here, okay? We don't own our own home. We rent a home in Emily City, and we're okay with that. If God gives us leads us to a home, man, praise God. But, you know, here's the thing. So many young adults nowadays getting their 25, 26, 27, they're like, I need a house. Got to go buy a house, and I got to buy a big house. Who cares what kind of debt I get into? Who cares what kind of credit card debt I have? It doesn't matter. I need a house. I need it. Why? Because my culture says I need a house. I got to own it. By the way, you don't really own it, but we won't get into that right now. Read the fine print. They can take it whenever they want. Man, we have to be so careful because we can let our culture start to seep in and we start thinking, I need this. I'm waiting for the day that Anthony comes to me. He's already tried it a couple times with minor things, but shoes are ridiculous. Don't you want to just, parents, you ever want to just go find the manufacturer of shoes and just punch them right in the face? Can we just be real for a minute here? Raise your hand. $200 for a pair of tennis shoes. Uh-uh. Nope. Kmart. Well, we can't even go to Kmart anymore. Walmart, right? Now, we'll go to the cheap places. That's right. I like him. He's on the same page as me. Gonna make a great dad one day. I'm waiting for the day my son says, Dad, I need these $150 pair of shoes. I'm going to say, no, you need a job. Because <laughs> I'm paying like 75 so you need more money. So you need a job. Now, you want the $150 pair of shoes. And I'm not against nice things. I feel like, I don't know why I feel like this way. Maybe I don't need to do this, but I feel like whenever we talk like this, people are going to either end of an extreme. Oh, I should have nothing. It's not what I'm saying. Do you get that I'm trying to just canvas the whole thing? Doesn't, it, the point is, it doesn't matter where on the spectrum you are. As long as wherever you are, you're his. And everything you have is his. But I believe that's why God calls us to not go in debt. You know why God doesn't want you in debt? So that you can be generous. So you can give to those in need. But if you're tied into Visa and MasterCard and Bank of America and whatever other debt that you have, uh, hello, student loans, okay? If, when we're tied into all those things, guess what? Your money's not even yours. It's Visa's, Bank of America's. And so how can you really be generous the way that God leads us to be generous if we're tied into all these things in debt? That's why God says don't get in debt, so that when I move you to be generous, you have the means by which to be generous, and I'll do it in accordance with what you have. Man, we're handcuffing ourselves to debt, and we're limiting what God can use us to do in our lives. And that's why God says not to get in debt, because it's foolish. It's foolish. We all learned this when we were kids. Well, not all of us. Some of us did. I wish I would have learned more when I was younger. That when you buy something on a credit card for $25, you know you're not spending $25 on that if you don't pay it off at the end of the month, right? You say, well, duh, everyone knows that. Really? 
then why are so many people stuck in that stuff? Man, God says, no, no, that's why. Stop serving it as a master and use it as the tool by which I give it to you. Finances are great and fine. It's great to have money to do things with, but as long as he's at the center of that. Now that we have Jesus' perspective on the position money should take in relation to him, look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. We may or may not get through all of this message today. I just finished page one of five pages. So pray, pray the Lord will lead God and direct in a speedy manner. Verse 10, Philippians 4. Listen to what Paul's writing here to the church. He says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care for me has flourished again. Wherein you also were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. One of the more popular verses that is written in every graduation card, I swear, is verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, we love that verse, don't we? Hey, it's okay, man. You're going through a hard time. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I saw a thing on Facebook one time. This wife was trying to open a jar of jelly. And she went to her husband and she said, I can't open this jelly. And he said, I'll pray for you because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. (laughs) The meme ended with him standing in the kitchen alone with a jar of jelly in his hand. I'm guessing the wife was like, and here you go. (laughs) Man, we do that all the time. What's that? Yeah, probably his sandwich she was making, right? Yeah. If someone's making your food, don't criticize them. Okay, don't. That's a whole other message, but we won't get into that. But just don't trust me on this. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. There's this thing called context. We have to take a verse and we have to look at it in the bigger picture of what Scripture says about it. Why, why does he say that there? Look what he says before. He says, in all these things I've learned, whether I'm full or, or starving, whether I have or I don't have. He says, it doesn't really matter. You know why? Because I can do all things. You know what can do means? I can endure all things. You know what he's saying? When I'm starving, I can endure that through Christ who strengthens me. When I'm full and stuffed, I can endure that through Christ who strengthens me. When I have need, I'm lacking. Man, apparently he didn't have a lot of faith because he had need. He must not be as smart as these other guys on TV because he didn't have enough faith. He had need. And if you have need, obviously you're not in God's favor. By the way, just because people use biblical words doesn't mean they're biblically accurate. Remember, these guys, on, sometimes they just throw these words around, and it's like they don't even know what that word means. He says this, no matter what it is, wherever I am, I can do all things through Christ. Do you know what Paul realized? Why was Paul so content? It wasn't about Paul. It was about Jesus. It was about him in his life. God, I don't need all these things. And if I just have you, I have enough. I have strength because I have you. He goes on in verse 14. He says, okay, all these things, you've, you've ministered to me, not because I, had, I wanted something, but because you just blessed me with it. In verse 14, now, notwithstanding, you have well done, they did communicate with my affliction. We'll get to that in a little bit. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Again, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your accounts. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Verse 19, another one we throw in the graduation cards that we take out of context all the time. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what amen means there? It means so let it be and let it go forth. Paul saying everything I just said, let it go forth. Let it be. Let this be true of the church in Philippi. Here the Apostle Paul is thanking the church at Philippi for their support of his ministry. The word here for communicate means fellowship. Fellowship. The idea is that 
the church entered into a fellowship of giving and receiving with Paul. They gave materially, listen to this now, they gave materially to Paul and received spiritually from the Lord. They gave materially to Paul, received spiritually from the Lord. The church brought their finances together and dispersed them to the work of God. It is amazing what can take place when we step out by faith and trust God to meet our needs as a church. You know why we support missionaries, why we give to missions, why we, we try to raise funds for things in the community, why we do things with our, our finances to help those in need? Because that's why God gave us the finances. To bless those in need, to be there with those in need. I'll be honest with you, one of the things that drives me nuts is that we owe a mortgage on this church. And you might say, well, yeah, mortgage isn't a big deal. Man, it kills me because every month we spend money on a building. And you might say, well, let's just get rid of the building. If I thought we could make anything off of it, we probably would. But rather than that, let's do this. Let's settle our debt. Let's settle our debt and use the building that God has blessed us with because I believe God has a purpose for this location. I believe God has a purpose for this, this land that we own. And then let's use that money. Instead of paying on a building, let's use it to his glory in the world through missions, through giving. But let me remind you of this. Do you realize that every time we pay a mortgage payment, we are giving it to God for his glory because he's using his, his church right here where we are right now. You understand that, right? As we're able to minister. And that's what the Philippian church was doing. He says, man, you gave to me, not just here, but also here. Do you see how Paul's recognized this? And what does Paul say the, the glory will be for this church? Man, there's a fruit that you'll receive. There's a blessing that you'll receive because you gave to me. So what keys would God want us to leave here knowing about tithing or supporting the local church through giving? What would God want us to walk out of here with knowing? Because here's the truth. Many of us have some misconceptions about tithing. I know I did when I was first saved and first a Christian. So I'm going to start by doing this. I'm going to look at a couple different misconceptions about giving. We're not going to be exhaustive, but I want to give you a couple that I think tackle really the big ones that we see in the church. And then we'll talk about some benefits from uh, what Paul says giving will give to us. So a couple things. Common misconceptions about tithing. First one is that God only gets 10%. That God only gets 10%. This idea comes from the mindset that since the word tithe in the Old Testament means one-tenth, means a tenth, and therefore only bound to give 10% to him, which means the other 90% is perceived as whose? I only got to give him 10. That means 90 is mine to do with whatever I want. And let me tell you something. You can live that way. Because, again, does God need your money? Nope. God's doing a global plan, and he's going to achieve that plan whether you get involved or not. I just want to be involved so that I can see what God is doing and serve him in the way that he calls me to. I would love to see what God can do when we step up and how God can use our church. However, in reality, in the Old Testament, many people think this because of a verse in Malachi when it uses the word tithe. When you look at the entirety of the Old Testament, they actually gave between 23 and 26% in total tithes. So let's take the loan number, 23%. Okay, so now we've gone from 10% to 23%. If you're going to use the verse from Malachi to tell us I have to give 10%, you've got to use all the verses in the Old Testament. So now you've got to give a minimum of 23% if you're using this mindset. The truth is that you can do whatever you want with all or any of it. Let's let that kind of just sink in for a second. You can do whatever you want with all of your money, with little or much. You can do whatever you want with it. You know why? Because God has gifted it to you. He's gifted it to you. And you can choose to do whatever you want. You want to give 10%? Give 10%. You want to give 23%? Give 23%. You want to give 90%? Give 90%. It's yours. That's the whole point of what the New Testament establishes. It's not so much about the letter of the law as it is about what Christ said, which is, man, it's about the heart. It's about the heart of the giver. While, yes, it is yours, and you can do with it whatever you want, here's the truth. God calls us to be stewards of our money. You know what the word stewards means? Stewards means managers. So if God has blessed you with your finances, he then says, now I expect you to manage these finances. And you can do whatever you want with them. But the Bible seems to suggest that one day we'll give an account for all the things we do for Christ. 
And so we don't give 10% because we're forced to give 10%. We understand, wait a minute, I can give whatever the Lord leads. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. I believe when we live with this only 10% thinking, we are making ourselves, or we're robbing ourselves, sorry, of the blessing of a stronger faith, a closer intimacy, and a wonderful picture of surrender to the Lord. I don't believe God's intent in using this word was for us to think in terms of minimums, rather to understand the principle of giving back to God. Yes, the word tithe means tenth. But I don't think God said that, so we only think we have to give a tenth, or we only work at a minimum. And that's sometimes what we do. I give my tenth, so I'm good. Man, what a misconception on what God intended tithes to be. Man, it's, it's so much more than that. See, one misconception is I only have to give 10%. The other misconception is that tithing was only for the Old Testament saints. So now it's not only tithing in the Old Testament as a tenth, it's, and by the way, we don't have to give anything because we're not part of the Old Testament. I don't have to give anything to God. I'm not called to do that. This idea comes to us because in the Old Testament, the word tithe is used in a positive light. However, it is not used in the New Testament in a positive light, referenced actually to the Pharisees and their surface religion. So therefore, a tithe was just an obligation to the law. We are freed from the law in Christ and therefore freed from tithing. Do you see where people can get this mindset, this idea? Yes, it is true. The word tithe is not mentioned in a positive light in the New Testament. It's referenced a few times, the word itself. Nor is it a command in the New Testament. The word is never used. God never says, and thou shalt tithe in the New Testament as a command given to his people. However, the idea of giving back to God was in place before the law came into existence with Moses. Genesis 14 and verse 20 says that Abraham gave him tithes of all. Later in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 4, we read that Abraham gave a tenth of all his spoils. See, so if you use the argument, well, I don't have to give anything back to the Lord because I'm not an Old Testament saint. That's all done away with in Christ. And they only gave in the Old Testament because of the law. Apparently, Abraham, before the law ever came into place, gave back to the Lord and gave to the work of the Lord. And then obviously after the Old Testament, we see Jesus in the New Testament. Like other commands and laws, Jesus focused on the heart of the law or command. So in the Old Testament, we see a tithe. But in the New Testament, Jesus says this. Listen to Jesus' words. Remember, we're talking to Jesus this morning. What does he say? Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Luke 6, 38. You see, Jesus was more interested in the connection to the heart of the giver than the amount of the gift. He also implies that whatever amount you give will come back to you. Whatever amount you give will come back to you. This may be Jesus saying if you give a little, and get a, you'll get a little. The sowing and reaping illustration. If you sow this, you're going to get that. If you give a little, you'll get back a little. That's what he says. Now, what he meant by that, we'll break that down in just a minute. Or is it Jesus saying, whatever you give, I will replace. If you give a little... It, most people may think it's not a big deal, but I'm telling you, I see it as a big deal, and I'll reward that. I'll give that back to you. I believe it's both. I don't think Jesus said, if you give a little, you get a little, in a sense, to guilt us into giving more. I think he was saying, if all you can give is a little, I see that, I honor that, and I'll give that back to you. But if you can give from an abundance, then that's between you and the Lord. You see, again, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, man, it's more about the heart of the giver. We get so bound into amounts and percentages. And I remember years ago, someone asked me one time, I'm supposed to give 10%. Is that on my gross or my net? Why are we even asking that question? Like, I mean, I don't even understand that question. Like, shouldn't that be a matter between you and the Lord to pray over and say, Lord, I feel like this is an amount that we can give that I feel like is, is stretching us just a little bit, but I'm also honoring my debts and honoring responsibilities. By the way, you need to honor your debts. If you call Visa tomorrow and say, well, I can't pay my credit card bill, I gave it all to the church. 
Visa's not going to go, oh, that's cool. No worries. We'll get you next month. I mean, they will get you next month, but that's not what they mean, okay? You see how we can, like, we start formulating and, and bringing equations and all these numbers and try to figure out, ooh, okay, what, what's the least I have to give to the church? Are there any loopholes in the Bible that get me out of giving anything? Man, if Jesus is sitting there as your Savior, the one you've supposedly surrendered your life to and going, look, would you stop focusing on that and focus on me and let me lead you in that? Man, we get so tied up in these things. Now that we understand the heart of God in giving back to others, I want to look real quick, just a couple of minutes. I know we've been flying through a lot of information. If you want my notes, I'm more than willing to give them to you. Please see me uh, after service. I can print them off. All the scriptures there. All the points are there. Whatever you want uh, is there as far as the message. You can get it online, obviously. But I want to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, before we get ready to close here. And I want to give you just a few thoughts on another passage of scripture here that God led the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Corinth. It's one of the more popular passages on the idea of giving specifically to the local church. And as we turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to ask, what are, or rather maybe are there any benefits to giving? Are there any benefits to giving to the Lord? And let me say this too as you're turning to 2 Corinthians 9. Um, some of you may support ministries. Some of you maybe are compassion sponsors. Um, which, real quick, by the way, any Compassion sponsors here just know this. You can um, get their app on your phone. I don't know if you guys have done this. Uh, we just recently found that. I don't know where we were at the last, I don't know, six years of, of doing this. But um, you can get an app on your phone, and it will tell all the letters around there. They put everything on there. Um, you know, there's a picture around there. There's information about their, their country, uh, interests, all those things. Uh, there's also prayer requests on there. Uh, these are not necessarily from your child. They're just compassion saying, hey, here are some suggestions on how you can be praying for your sponsored child. And so if you haven't downloaded the Compassion app, do that. It's a huge resource, great tool to do that. But maybe you sponsor a child through Compassion or World Vision. Or maybe you give, maybe your family supports a missionary, just your family does. Uh, maybe you sponsor some other ministry or you give money to a ministry that, you know, like um, a radio ministry or a book ministry or something like that. Those are all fine and good. But I can tell you, and this is, please understand, take everything I said in the beginning about we don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. We just want to understand the heart of giving. I truly believe the biblical principle is that before you give to any other ministry, the first place we give is to our local church. And I, I just believe that's what Scripture gives us the clarity of. And I believe that as we give to our local church, then above and beyond that, please support any other ministries. Some of you guys maybe even support like Red Cross or humanitarian aid. I'm not against that either. That's your decision as an individual and as a family to decide, do we support this or not? That's something you need to pray about and research that, that thing. And if you're not comfortable with supporting them, then don't support them. But I believe the biblical example is that we first and foremost, we support our local church because that's the kind of the catalyst of change in the New Testament through the local church. Above and beyond that, whatever you feel led to do. But I believe that's where we start. And so here, look at Paul. He's writing to a local church in Corinthians, or in Corinth, to the people of, of Corinth, the church there. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, really verses 1 through 15, we see a lot of content here. So I'm going to try to read as much as I can in just a few minutes. Uh, but it goes all the way through chapter 9 is all of this idea of giving. I love my, my Bible here says right before chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. I think that, that's just an awesome thing to think about. If you're like this, uh, it's time to, here comes that plate again. Um, all right, Lord, give me wisdom here. Moths fly out. Okay, um, is there anything in there? Okay, do you, take, do you take credit card? No, okay, you don't take credit cards. Okay, I'll just give online. Okay. Man, if you're, like, if you're like so many, there's this sense of just, I just don't want to let it go. Man, who's your master? And I'm not saying, again, you're like, well, I, do I have to give every week? Do I have to give twice a month? Do I give once a month? Do I give every six? What do I give? How much do I give? I am not going to give you a number today. If you're sitting there waiting for me, okay, he's going to tell me how much I should give, and I'm going to write that down, and that's what we're going to do. And you looked at your husband or your wife, and you're like, you better be listening, because if I miss it, you've got to know it, because we're giving this much. That's the opposite of what I want to do today. The whole point of today is to understand the heart of giving. And then you go to the Word of God 
And you're going to find out here in just a minute where you get that information from. So real quick, stop rambling. Get back to the text. Okay. 2 Corinthians 9. You ready for this? Verse 1. As uh, for as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous, which I love that word, for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia. And he goes on through there talking about, hey, you got the zeal, um, that you're, you're just a loving, giving church. He says this, yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not you should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a manner of bounty and not as of covetousness. Okay, real quick, what's he saying here? Basically, be ready, start getting ready to give. There's a need, we're coming, people are coming to get this. I want you to know ahead of time that you're ready, collect things now so it can go out. In First, Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, we see the benefits of giving. First thing we see is your giving will provoke others. He's saying, I want you to be ready, collect, get the word out, let people know. Basically, your fire fires them up to give. It is not that we brag about our giving, but when we share how God is moving, it will fire them up to step out by faith. Paul's saying, I'm telling all these people about how amazing you are at this, and I just want you to be ready because if they show up and you're not ready, it's going to look like I was lying. This is my paraphrase. So be ready, be prepared. Kind of, I want them to know that you're giving so it fires them up to give. Second blessing or benefit that comes from giving is your giving will bless you. Verses 6 through 11. Again, he talks about here, um, verse 7, every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You know what he's saying there? Listen, give and God will take care of it. Give and God will take care of it. He will bless you in the difference. This blessing may not be financial, but when you give to the Lord, his return is always exactly what you need. And as Becky's saying so beautifully, God is always right on time. You give financially, God may not give back to you financially. He may give to you through a different means. It's not that we tell God, I gave 100, you got to give me 1,000. That's how this works, God. I mean, you can try that, but... It's not about that. It's God's, listen, I know your needs so much better than you do. So you just give to me what you feel led to give as you've purposed in your heart, Paul says. See, that's the flow of the New Testament. It's not must give a tenth. It's as you've purposed in between you and God in your heart. And isn't that so freeing? God, thank you for the freedom to just give to you as I feel led to give. And it's not, and again, we don't go the other way and go, well, he said purpose in my heart. My heart's pretty shut off to God, so I ain't giving nothing. That's not how this works either. And saying, God, my heart needs to be open to you so you can lead me through this. So real quick, your giving will provoke others. Your giving will bless you. Verse 12, your giving will meet needs. Your giving will meet needs. This is so we can be the church for us specifically in Lapeer County. As we're able to come together, uh, we can bless those in our county as well as the world around us. Uh, I'm in awe of how God has blessed since we made the decision to increase our monthly mission support as a church. Uh, we were giving $30 a month. That's right, $30 a month. But the Lord is blessed over the last couple of years, and we've now increased that to $100 a month. And we don't say, look at us. We say, man, look at him. Because he controls all that. When I first came on as a pastor here, they asked me, what's your vision for the church? And I gave them this one-year plan, two-year plan, five-year plan, ten-year plan, all this information. And one of the guys said, well, there's some things missing here. And I said, well, you're going to see two things not in that vision statement. How many will be here and how much money will come in. Because I don't control who comes to the doors and I don't control what they give in the plate. So I can't vision that. I can't purpose that. I can't say what that's going to be. I can't set goals on that. I mean, we could. All kinds of strategies and stuff to make you give more and people show up. But I would rather, I don't know, we follow the biblical example. He says that some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. So you know what I put in there? Here's how we're going to plant. Here's how we're going to water. And then we're going to trust God to give the increase. And I believe that's true in our finances too. But we stepped up by faith. We said, God, we believe we're being good stewards. We're being wise. Here's the money you're giving to us. We can see now we got a little surplus, a little extra at the end of the year. So guess what? We only did that for a couple of years before we said that extra is going somewhere now. And it's going into the mission field. So these missionaries can be supported. 
And I'm not saying it's going to stop there. I'm not saying what God's going to do next. But I'm so thankful that we're there now. And we've seen God bless in tremendous ways as we've done that. When Paul wrote this, there was a great need in the church. And those believers in Corinth knew they were impacting lives for the glory of God. Not only that, your giving will glorify God. Verse 13, God is glorified when we show the world that he is what matters most to us, not our stuff. When we're willing to sacrifice it, he is glorified. Some will say they can't afford to give. I love what so many have told me, that they can't afford not to give. Oh, I can't afford it. Now, again, I'm not telling you, if you're in debt to something and someone, that you say, I'm going to ignore that debt and give all my money to the church. It's saying we need to be stewards. Why stewards? I need, to, I need to meet my debts and give to the Lord what I can. Some people will tell you, no, you give it no matter what and forget your debt. That's not in here either. What's a great testimony is saying, no, Lord, I'm going to meet my debts so that once that's gone, now I can really give to you. And we give in the meantime. I'm not saying we don't give at all. I'm just saying use wisdom there, okay? We need to be set free from our debts so we can really be the church in this community. And your giving will unite God's people. Verses 14 through 15. It says this, And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Who gets all the glory? God. But what does it do? It unites the church, the body of Christ, not just in Corinth, but all over the known world. We are one body. We can pray for each other, but we can also as a family come together and meet the needs of our family. And sometimes that takes finances. I want to remind you again in closing that by telling you that God is not so much interested in your money as he is your heart. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills according to his word, and all that money you have is really his. He gave it to you as a gift, but you might say, I worked for it. Remember I said before, but I earned this. This is mine. Who gave you the breath in your lungs to go to work? Who gave you the mind, the intelligence to do what you do? Some of you work in fields I can't even begin to imagine. David Channel knows how to work on airplanes. Guess who they don't want working on airplanes? This guy. That plane would be like, and we're not flying. That's if it even rolls away from the gate. It would be like that. I don't know if you start with a key. You probably don't start with a key, do you? No, 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 okay. There you go. You I think it starts with a key. What do I know? I don't even know what's going on. Okay. Looks like a space shuttle up there. That's all I know. And it doesn't matter what your field is. It doesn't matter what your calling is. If you earned money for your work, God is glorified in that because he gave you the breath in your lungs. He gave you the mind to do that job with. He gave you the ability, the talent. So all I'm saying is rather than thinking, God, this is mine, think, God, this is his. I truly believe that if we are fully understanding the gospel and that all he did and is doing in us and through us in salvation, we will joyfully and anxiously surrender our lives to him as a living sacrifice which involves our time, our talents, and even our finances. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? This morning as you bow in prayer there, we're actually going to change it up a little bit uh, just because of the time, and I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us. Uh, We're not going to have any music for invitation or anything, so the praise band that's coming up, I apologize for making a change there on the fly, but... I just want you to spend a moment there in prayer. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just ask the Lord. Lord, am I surrendered to you? Is everything that I have really yours? Or is everything yours that I've delegated to you, but these other things are mine? Have you been operating under a misconception idea that all you got to give is 10% of your, of your tithe and the rest is yours. Because the truth is, it is yours. You can do with it whatever you want. But I want you to know that you're going to be accountable for that too, as a steward of God. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be accountable for what you do with your finances, what you do with your time, what you do for the kingdom. And all I want you to do is just ask God, God, give me wisdom in all this. God, give me direction in all this. Help me to stop thinking in in amounts and start thinking in surrender. Because if we only give him 10% of our finances and think that's all we need to do, odds are we apply that same principle to our time and to our talents and to our possessions. We think in a minimalistic idea of what I got to give him. And again, it's not that we have to. Man, praise God for his grace that he says you are saved in Christ apart from the things you do. 
If you're here and you don't know Christ, then you can accept him now, not by what you do for him, but by what he's done for you on the cross. Maybe you, right there in your seat, just cry out to him and say, God, I, I know that I've sinned, but I also believe and I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were buried in a borrowed tomb and I believe you rose the third day. I ask that you'd save me and cleanse me and I ask that you'd forgive me for my sins. That I would live for you. If you're here and you know Christ is your Savior, then maybe you would just be praying, Lord, give me surrender. Give me wisdom and what that looks like. Help me to stop thinking in terms that I can understand, but start thinking in ways that, that center around you. Help me to be wise in these things as a steward of, of yours and also to be a cheerful and joyful giver. Lord, we pray that as we spend this morning together, Lord, I pray that you have been glorified from the amazing worship that we experienced this morning, just praising you through song, the truth that we heard declared through the specials and solos that we heard this morning, that we stand redeemed by the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank you that you are an on-time God, that when we need you, you show up just when we need you, maybe not when we want you, but always when we need you by your grace. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that in all these things you give us clarity and wisdom. Help us to not be deceived in any of these things, to look to you for all things, to study the word, and to give ourselves to the scriptures to know what you would have for us. Thank you, Father, and I pray that this message was clear. I pray that I didn't get in the way at all, but that you were able to speak freely. May you go with us through today. Give us a great afternoon of just fellowship and time with family and friends. And Lord, thank you for the life that we have in our, breath, in our, in our bodies and in the, the breath in our lungs. Bring us back tonight, Lord, as we continue to worship you and study your word. We thank you for all this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you guys. You are dismissed. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, come on back. Have a great day.